Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. So, so glad you could join us because this show is big. We've got two guests today that blow my mind, and that is no easy thing to do because as you know, my loyal Go Green Radio listeners, we have some of the most brilliant and articulate guests that you could ever find on any subject having to do with green on Go Green Radio. But today, we have Josh and Rebecca Tickell. They are a husband and wife documentary filmmaker team who has just created a new film that I am thrilled to bring to you. It's called Freedom. And I'm just so excited to have them coming straight off the uh, quote-unquote green carpet as they just premiered it in D.C. last week. And we are joined during this segment by Josh. Josh, welcome to Go Green Radio. Thank you, Jill, and thanks to your listeners for having me. You betcha. Well, congratulations on your new film, Freedom. I'm just curious, let's kind of start at the beginning. When you chose that title, were you thinking freedom to do something or freedom from something? What's the core message behind the title you chose? Well, the core message of freedom is freedom of choice. And right now when we go to the gas pump or mostly when we buy a car, even when we turn on a light bulb, we don't have the freedom to choose where our energy comes from. Now, that's changing in some circumstances, but the big 800-pound gorilla in the room that most of us environmentalists just assume will get taken care of one day is really the fuel-slash-oil problem. And what we met with freedom is uh, it's about time that we have some freedom of choice for fuel. I couldn't agree with you more. And, in fact, uh, there are a lot of folks who are beginning to wonder, can I interact even with my utility? Even if I'm thinking about the energy choices to bring electricity into my house, do I have some choices uh, about where that energy comes from? So the, the message uh, is so timely for a lot of smart consumers out there who say, you know what, why can't I have a voice in this issue? You know, in your last film, Fuel, you had some celebrities and nonprofit leaders who are considered by some to be a little bit left in the political sphere. But in Freedom, you even feature a Republican presidential candidate, Newt Gingrich. And I was just wondering if his inclusion was purely ideological or somewhat strategic to start appealing to moderate, conservative, and sort of mainstream Americans. It was, uh, <laughs> I would have to say it's strategic, to be honest with you, Jill. We, we wanted to put in this film a good balance of left and right and uh, show that there is impetus from both sides of the aisle to move America off of oil. Uh, and, you know, Newt Gingrich, as you saw in the movie, even says, look, I'm very supportive of American oil. Uh, so his perspective is that we need to get off of foreign oil. Now, as the filmmakers, our perspective is that we just need to get off of oil. But we included people from different regions and different political leanings to show that everyone agrees that at the very least we need to get off of foreign oil. And realistically, if we can do that, we can get off of oil. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think what's so interesting about your film and about some of the other discussions on this subject is that though uh, there are many different perspectives about how we get off of oil, where we get alternative fuels from, or 
as you mentioned in the case of Gingrich's position, where we get alternative oil from, which would be from domestic sources, uh, it's all pointing in the same direction. And and it may not be that there's one silver bullet, um, as you mentioned. When you, By the time your audience gets to the end of freedom, what are you hoping they take from this vast array of perspectives on the, the end goal? My hope is that folks who watch freedom, and in my experience, this does happen. Uh, first of all, they realize that a lot of the information, quote-unquote, that they've been given that has to do with alternative fuel, specifically biofuels, is incorrect. It's, at the very least, it's uh, incorrect information. On the, on the hard side, it's actually um, distorted, and it's propaganda to make sure that we don't use these fuels. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. I want people to have clarity of information. You can't make good choices unless you have good information. The second thing... I would like viewers to walk away saying, I am in the driver's seat. I make the choices. You know, we often wait for the next president or the next governor in hopes that that bill will pass that will just get us all to drive on solar-powered cars. Uh, and I, and I, freedom takes a very realistic perspective. You know, We are in an economic uh, recession. We have at least 10% unemployment. If you count unemployment and the possible employment, we've probably got realistically one out of every five Americans not working today. Mm-hmm. There's no bill, there's no magic bullet that's going to give us solar-powered cars tomorrow. So we've got to be realistic. We're producing normal automobiles. They run on gasoline. We produce 16 million of them every year. The United States uses 200 billion gallons of fossil fuel. That's not something that's going to change over and the realistic change, even if we said, okay, today we begin the mandate for electric vehicles, we're talking about a 15 to 25-year change. Mm-hmm. Well, the economy is going to get better in that time unless we begin to build a foundation of renewable energy. So it's a catch-22. You want change, but it's going to take time. And you know that in that time, we're actually going to get more dependent on fossil fuel. So how do you fill the gap? And that's the other thing. The third thing I want viewers to walk away with is realistic pathway. We need a viable, realistic, today solution that's not pie in the sky and that's not dependent on some very technological breakthrough. Well, and I'm curious. You know, a lot of people say, okay, on the one side, you've got big oil companies, and we all know what they're capable of in terms of lobbying you know, and what they're capable of in terms of uh, outreach and PR. On the other side, you have large agricultural companies. Uh, some of them are you know, DuPont, Monsanto, who own huge cornfields. Okay, and so they've got that same capability to some extent uh, to promote ethanol. And so where do we as average Americans find that correct information outside of the PR capabilities of those two huge entities that are both pushing their products. Yes. I I tend to look at, in terms of strictly information, I look at studies from the USDA and USDOE. So any any university can be tainted. Uh, Most universities accept large grants. We made another movie about the oil spill called The Big Fix, 
And in the big six, BP goes around and gives money to all of these universities along the coast. Well, then the universities produce papers that say the water is fine, the fish are safe to eat, and the oil has stopped leaking. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that all of that is lies. Mm-hmm. So universities tend to be easily swayed. Politicians, as you know, are incredibly easily swayed. The only people who don't seem so easily swayed are large laboratories or the actual internal, uh, sort of, I hate to say this, but bureaucratic science of our own government. Because they're so scrutinized and they have to adhere to such strict regulations in terms of the science they do, that they actually produce good data. So I try to I try to forge that middle ground. It's not always possible by relying more on government data than any other form. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's legitimate. I mean, you know, it's funny. This is a little bit off topic, but I was listening to the radio. I listen. I live near San Francisco and, and Oakland, and I was listening to Willie Brown, who is an infamous politician here in the state of California, and mm. he's kind of the reason that we have term limits in our state legislature because he wouldn't go away, and his political opponents were were desperate to get rid of him. But there are those who say that. You know, there were positive things about not having term limits because you had professionals in the state capitol who knew uh, the issues and not just what they were told by lobbyists. And so what you bring up, Josh, is an interesting point because you have in some of those organizations like the USDA and like the Department of Energy who have been there through a variety of political administrations who are really there for the topics and the issues that they are determined to study. And they're not political appointees. And so I think that, you know, sometimes taxpayers overlook some of the great resources that we have that our tax dollars have already paid for. EPA, same thing. Especially in the, in the education world, I always point a lot of our Go Green Initiative schools, uh, that I work with towards some of the resources that are put out by those same agencies that you mentioned. You know, I live, Josh, about 20 minutes, as I mentioned, from the epicenter of the Occupy Oakland movement. And there's so much frustration in that movement about the economy, and you see a lot of signs that are deriding banks and bailouts. But as you and I both know, our economy depends upon cheap oil in many respects. Do you think that the message in your new movie, Freedom, is in any way aligned or uh, parallel with the message of the Occupy movement that we're seeing? I think Occupy is the beginning of uh, not just an awakening, but action based on an awakening. People, as I said, we've got one in five people in America not working. You cannot sustain an economy that's based on debt, which ours is, with 20% under an unemployment. It's unsustainable. Someday something's going to crack. And what we're seeing with the Occupy movement is, I believe, the first action. It's a reaction. It's uh, sort of pushing back and saying, I don't want this. What the movement has yet to find is a sound set of principles that it does want. Mm-hmm. And if you look at really the, the upset with the banks, uh, we allowed the banks, first of all, to have a fiat currency, a currency based on a random valuation, not on gold. Mm-hmm. Well, the most valuable thing, as we show in fruit, when we show Nixon and King Faisal meeting, we actually got that footage in 16 millimeter. You'll never see it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, we show that critical meeting where Nixon says, I'm going to take the dollar off of gold. 
And he knew at that moment that oil would run the economy because it was the most valuable thing. It was almost 160 times the value of the, in the Federal Reserve, what was coming out of Saudi Arabia. So he was pretty clear that as long as we had those good relationships with the Middle East, the United States could float its currency effectively on oil. Well, we've learned that deregulating the oil industry and deregulating the banking industry, they're very tightly connected, by the way, was a bad idea because they steal money. <laughs> so, so a lot of the Occupy movement is pushing back against these institutions without really yet seeing what the foundation is for the theft. And the foundation is an economy that is completely run by robber barons who are the same people effectively running the oil companies. Sounds think, oh like we God. need to have screenings in all of these for freedom uh, yeah. in all of the Occupy camps. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it, it, education is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. But what I think people realize when they move me inside of that context is, oh, I get it. It's real, not necessarily just, hey, they're criminals and they need to, they need to, to be taken to justice. I believe that's true. But we need to be proactive in reestablishing the economic base of the country. Mm-hmm. What can we do, you know, on an individual and group level, realistically, aside from hold protest signs, which is good because you get the awareness out, but what can you do? What can you physically do to change the course of history? And that's what we try and show in freedom. I love it. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but folks, do not go away. We've got much, much more with Josh Tekel, the producer, the director, the star, uh, in my mind, of the new film, Freedom. And his wife, Rebecca, will be joining us in just a moment. She is also his partner in this uh, wonderful endeavor, really powerful film. So don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today we're joined by Josh Tekel. He is the brilliant filmmaker that I have really been impressed with over the years. One of his Sundance Film Festival award-winning uh, pieces, Fuel, um, has been in my green library for some time. Now he's got a new film called Freedom, and we are grabbing Josh and his wife, Rebecca, right off the green carpet as they're premiering and, and uh, showcasing this new film, Freedom, and I'm thrilled to have them on. You know, Josh, in your new film, you explore the unusual partnering of oil companies and environmental groups to fight renewable fuel standards, and I'd love for you to talk to our listeners about how that has happened and what's at stake if those fuel standards are not embraced. It, it is a total uh, contradiction, Jill, as you know, that oil companies and environmentalists would work together. <laughs> but what, you know, when I started this movie, I was lukewarm at best around the ethanol issue. But I, I was really determined to find something that we can do. Uh, and so I, we, we looked at ethanol. We, looked, we gave another look. And I'll tell you, uh, and this is going to turn off some listeners right away. They're going to say, I don't like this guy and I don't like what he's talking about. I am a complete 100% advocate for ethanol, complete. And I'll tell you why. Because we did the investigation. And what we found in the investigation is almost none. The white papers, reports, uh, podcasts, interviews, magazine articles, everything, almost 100% of them that have come out of the environmental movement in the last decade have been based on false studies, false reports. Those reports really? were paid for by the oil industry. Oh, wow. I, I mean, You're not going to turn would... off my listeners with that, Josh. My listeners are open-minded. This is the kind of stuff we want to know. Yeah, I know. I, I, I know some people really hate ethanol. <laughs> I totally get it. Believe me, I've been to, you know, we've done 40-something screenings of this film, and, and we felt the heat coming back. But Always we go, okay, let's talk about what you're upset about. It comes down to the energy balance ratio, the yeah. food versus fuel issue, and those are really the cornerstones. People don't want to use a negative energy fuel that takes petroleum to make a fuel, and they don't want to use something that takes food off of those plates. And the, the amazing thing about the energy balance ratio is I still see it. I saw it in a paper that was published last week by an environmentalist 
whose books I, I've read, who I respect, and who I speak on panels with. <laughs> and I, I, I said, I can't believe you used this study. It's from like 1970. <laughs> the, new, the new information from the U.S. Department of Agriculture and from Argonne National Laboratories shows that for every one unit you put into the alcohol fuel process, you have a minimum of 2.5 units out. See, and that is, that's news to, to a lot of us. I mean, that's not what we've been hearing for years about ethanol. And, and it makes sense. If, if all of this, if you listen to all of this in, inside the context of this statement, the oil industry, just in the United States alone, is a trillion dollar year industry. Mm-hmm. If you were making a trillion dollars a year, and had a monopoly on that market, what would you do to make sure that no one got a hold of that? Anything. Yeah, that's ultimate power. That's <laughs> a monopoly. So that's the energy balance argument. The food versus fuel argument is just as insidious. Even today in the U.S., if you look at the last 10 years and you look at the corn production in the U.S., and you can say, well, I hate corn and that's why I don't like ethanol. Great, that's a separate issue. We'll deal with that in a second. If you look at what's happened in the last 10 years, the corn industry has produced an excess of corn. That excess is directly proportional to the amount of ethanol that has been made. You say, well, why didn't they feed it to people overseas? The reality is only 1% of the corn we make in the U.S. is edible by humans. The other 99% is animal feed. And in the ethanol process, they actually produce a byproduct called the Stiller's grains, and it's protein, and it's what's, what's fed to animals. Now, a lot of people will say, I don't eat animals, therefore we shouldn't grow corn. I totally get it, and that's a valid place to stand. But if you didn't grow corn, what would be available on that land is to grow something like hemp, which would provide tremendous amounts of protein, and you still have the cellulose. That cellulose could be turned into ethanol, alcohol, fuel. In fact, enough to fuel the whole country. So no matter how you slice it, if you look at the current status of affairs and you go, well, I don't like that, great. Let's change it to something even more sustainable. But in the process, we can build the fuel infrastructure for the cars that we drive today. And that's the thing. It actually builds a bridge to the future. Well, and that's what's so great about your movie, Freedom. It really does lay out a realistic, incremental path to what some people have been treating as sort of a pie-in-the-sky utopian that really left a lot of mainstream Americans wondering, how can we really get there? How can we afford to do those things? And uh, and that's what's terrific about freedom. Um, tell us about some of the next steps with uh, getting the movie out there, getting it uh, to audiences around America. What are you doing next? We just completed a 40-city tour powered uh, by alcohol fuel, a bus. We, we took a school bus and converted it to alcohol fuel. Uh, it was an amazing journey. And we got to see the reactions of Americans all across the country. And universally, the thing that comes back is once they get the information, they're like, I get it. I'm on board. Uh, the DVD is out now. People can order that. A lot of people are getting the DVD online. They're doing community screenings in their own homes. And, of course, we'll continue to tweak the movie. We actually have version numbers secretly imprinted on the DVD. 
Uh, and by next year, we'll be releasing new versions of the DVD with more information to answer people's questions. Oh, that's so cool. What are you looking for in terms of, of actions or deliverables of any kind uh, among the people who watch Freedom? How will you know that you've achieved what you meant to when you made the film? What, are you, what kind of actions are you looking for out of the audience? There are two main things on a governmental level and one thing on an individual level. I'll talk about the governmental stuff quickly and then the individual. Governmentally, we have a cap on ethanol production in the U.S., 10%. We're not allowed to produce more than that. The excess ethanol, we actually do produce more than 10%, and we ship it to Brazil. So here's the height of insanity. Ships, tanker ships from Saudi Arabia pass ethanol ships from the United States in the middle of the night. We're shipping out our alcohol fuel and importing oil. That's the height of insanity. So the number one thing we can do is increase that limit at least to 15%. Any gasoline car can run on 30% alcohol fuel with no modifications, none whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So the only pushback at raising the limit is coming from the oil industry. The second thing we can do governmentally is in California, we don't get our ethanol from the Midwest to blend into our gasoline. All of the gasoline in California is blended with 10% ethanol. It comes from Brazil. So we're sending our ethanol from the Midwest to Brazil because there's a cap and because California won't allow it in. And California is importing ethanol from Brazil because somebody did a carbon equation that is off that states that it's more carbon neutral to load ethanol onto a tanker ship in Brazil and bring it to California. Oh, my gosh. So we need to change that regulation so that we're bringing ethanol locally from local states into California and create a sustainable alcohol fuel business that eventually goes to grasses, hemp, and garbage. We can't do that if we're importing our fuel from Brazil. We might as well import it from the Middle East. What's the difference? So, So those are the two governmental things that really need to shift. Individually, as I said, everyone can run their cars on E30 or 30% ethanol. If that's not available, almost throughout California, there are E85 stations, 85% ethanol, Mm -hmm. with a flex fuel kit that is American-made. You should only buy American-made flex fuel kits for Mm -hmm. obvious reasons, but uh, because there's customer service and they can help you install them. Those flex fuel kits can go onto any car, and they, they cost about 300 to $400. That allows your car to run on 85% ethanol. The advantage to you is your car is way less polluting. You can actually smell the difference. You will be breathing less fumes around your vehicle, and it's cheaper. The fuel is actually cheaper. So a lot wow. of advantages right there. I'm going to ask everybody to put that on their Christmas list, okay? That's something that, and I think about, you know, in our community where my kids are in public schools, there are no buses. I mean, it's a minivan parade to get in and out of of schools. And if all of those minivans had the flex fuel kits, you know, the, the, the air quality around all the schools immediately would improve. That's so exciting. Uh, Josh, you know, I'm sorry that, that, 
our time is nearly up with you. I'm excited to talk with Rebecca, your other half. Um, but thank you so much for the passion that you bring to your work. And I wish you the greatest success as you continue to, uh, to roll out freedom. Uh, let freedom ring. That's all I can say. Thank you so much for being with us, Josh. Thank you, Jill. And thanks to your listeners as well. You bet. Well, folks, we've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we return, we're going to have, as I mentioned, Josh's other half, Rebecca, on with us. And we'll talk some more about the film. We'll also talk about some of the nonprofit work that she's been doing. I'm very excited to have her on. So don't go away. More Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Two views. Different topics. Questions. Answers. News. And advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad that you could all join us because today our guests are phenomenal. We just had a couple of segments with Josh Tickell, and now we're, we've got his wife, Rebecca, on. They are a husband and wife dream team of documentary filmmaking on the subject of one of the most important things our generation may face, and that is 
the alternative to our addiction to oil and how we change our current economic status, which is so dependent upon cheap oil, to a, a, an economy that's run by a sustainable fuel, a sustainable economy, and their new film, Freedom, addresses some of the most fundamental issues that are standing between where we are now and where we could be if we uh, adopted some of the most sensible action items uh, that you can imagine. Rebecca, thanks so much for your work on the film, and thanks for joining us on Go Green Radio. Thank you, Jill. I'm excited to be here. Well, I have to get this out of my system because I'm a fan of Rebecca's from a long time ago, and, and, and she knows where I'm going with this. As we transition into the holiday season, I start rolling out all of our family Christmas DVDs, and Rebecca was the child star of one of our favorites, the movie Prancer. And uh, if you've seen that movie, and I know a lot of our listeners have, Rebecca was that cute little girl who loved the reindeer. And so, Rebecca, we, we are big fans of, of yours Thank in that movie. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you know, I always, I always knew I wanted to make a difference in the world, and Prancer really gave me that opportunity to use film as a way to do that. And I think that really struck a chord with me at a very early age that it's possible through media to reach a really large group of people and make a profound difference with them. And that's, for me, what, what Prancer provided. Oh, that's terrific. I mean, and truly, uh, you're so right. You know, a lot of times people these days say media sort of out of the corner of their mouth as if it's a dirty word, but you're absolutely right. It's all about what you use that media for. Yes. Well, you did a lot of investigation into the BP Deepwater Horizon explosion, and you had a very personal meaningful experience with that that um, you touch on in the new film. I'd love for you to share... Um, with our listeners, what you experienced on a very personal level with your investigation of that explosion? You know, it's interesting because when I first started to see the, you know, the news feed of the oil gushing out of the wellhead, I didn't know how that affected me. You know, it felt so far away. It felt isolated. It felt like, you know, a news piece. You know, and of course, green energy is the issue that I've been tackling with my husband now for many, many years, and fuel, our movie Fuel, addressed alternative energy. Um, but, you know, it still felt like, well, what can I do about that? How can I make a difference? Even as a leader inside of the green movement, I didn't know how or what to do. And so finally, you know, it dawned on me and on Josh that we needed to go down there. We started getting reports that... You know, it, it was worse than what we were hearing on the news and that there was another story that needed to be told. And so we thought, well, we'll go down there and we'll organize a march for clean energy and we'll bring some celebrity support and we'll have a consortium. We'll try to see what we can do to stop the oil spill. You know, we'll, we'll do something. You know, we're going to take some step. We may not know what we're doing, but we're going to do something. So we got a huge group of people and we went down to the Gulf and we organized this big march for, for clean energy right in Jackson Square in New Orleans, only to be with major resistance. It turns out, I didn't know this, Josh is from Louisiana, but I'm not, that the people in the Gulf, for the most part, are extremely supportive of the oil industry. And even as it was gushing out of this broken wellhead, people still wanted to keep drilling. They did not want a moratorium on oil. And that was really surprising to us. So then we went down to the beach and we saw the oil on the beach and 
What was shocking to us was that, again, what the media was reporting was different from what we were witnessing. And there literally was a cover-up. And, there, you know, the devastation was much worse than what was being reported in the news. It was affecting the environment. It was affecting the people. We had started to hear rumors about this, but it was kind of like living in the twilight zone. <laughs> yeah. Every time you turn on the, the news, you know, it's BP. We made it right. It's all clean. The, the fish is safe. Come down. We're open for, for tourism. You know, there's these giant billboards along the side of the road saying, demand Louisiana shrimp. We thought, well, let's go out there and let's look at those fishing grounds where we've heard from fishermen that there's oil still. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, they're fishing there. So we went out on a boat and, you know, we had had started to meet people who had claims that they were getting sick, that they had blood coming out of their ears. We started to see people with strange sores on their skin. So we thought, you know what, this is not safe. Let's get some safety here because, I, you know, mm-hmm. let's protect ourselves. And, but I was a little skeptical because I, you know, I'm from Vermont and I always believe in the good in people. I can't imagine <laughs> that our government would allow people to be exposed to high levels of toxic chemicals and tell everyone that it was okay. Mm-hmm. But I relented and I put on a gas mask. We went out on a boat and this, we went out to where the, the water was open for fishing and sure enough, as dolphins were tracking us there, we started to notice that there was oil in the water everywhere. Oh. And this is the area where 33% of America gets its seafood from the Gulf. And then, and we were out there for a few hours, and we were filming it, and we were filming the wildlife that was interacting with the oil and the water, and all of these were looking around the areas where they were shrimping. And we knew immediately that it was a lie, that all those billboards that we had seen telling people to eat the fish, you know, the president coming on television telling us that the seafood was safe. We knew just looking at where the fish was coming from that it wasn't safe. Yeah. And then when we got back on the shore, I started to have um, my irritated skin. And if I hadn't been wearing a gas mask, it would have happened to my face as well. But the entire area of my neck and chest, became completely swollen and red. And oh my gosh. I dealt with this for months and months and months, and it was red and irritated and painful, painful. And finally, you know, I went and saw the head doctor of the School of Doctors and Surgeons from Columbia University, and it turns out that I have an irreversible skin condition that will prevent me from ever being able to expose the skin on my neck and chest to the sun for the rest of my life. And it's oh called my heart smarting. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. I didn't oh, touch the oil. I didn't put it on my chest. I didn't touch it. It was in the atmosphere from the high level of dispersants that were sprayed on top of the oil to dissolve it, to basically get out of having to pay the giant fine that would have come with collecting the oil. So instead, they just, you know, they made it disappear. And we have a whole movie that just deals with, the cover-up around the oil spill, and that's called The Big Six. But after we made The Big Six, or we've done the majority of filming for that, we were so upset because, you know, to witness, you know, the lies and the corruption and to have, you know, the, our, our government at its highest level telling you, you know, well, I went swimming in the Gulf when, in fact, he didn't, and that the seafood is safe when, in fact, it's not. And it's somebody who personally believes in the hope and change that we can create as a country. It was very devastating. Well, and it's so interesting, Rebecca. I mean, you know, everybody really wants to trust someone, wants to trust that there is a leader or there are a group of leaders 
you know, who, who will protect us, you know, yeah. from things that we can't always know ourselves, that they will know and they will tell us and they'll protect us. And, and it's very difficult. It's almost like a, a child realizing for the first time that their parents aren't perfect. <laughs> they still love them, but they realize they're human and they're not perfect. I think our country in some ways is beginning to believe and, and understand that None of our political leaders are perfect, they're human, and that we're going to have to find out a lot of things for ourselves and that we're going to have to decide for ourselves what the actions are. And that's what I love about freedom is that it's exactly like Josh was saying, it's freedom to choose. And what you guys outline are some of the choices. Talk to us some more about some of the things that uh, you want to see your target audience feeling free to choose. Um after after they understand what's going on? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, to have the consciousness around the fact that every time we go to a gas station and fill up our car, there's an impact much greater than what we can see right then and there. That we've been asleep. We've been asleep at the wheel, literally, and filling up our cars with a substance that if we don't shift the system, it can completely, it can destroy us. And I mean, that's, I know that that's scary and sort of, you know, doomsday talk, but the fact of the matter is, is that we have to shift the system the way that it is. It's not working. And it doesn't matter how powerful of a person we have leading this country, the system, the way it's designed right now, is failing to protect us and to preserve the resources that we have and use them in a smart way. So, I mean, you know, after the Gulf, we went to the Midwest, we saw you know, we learned, I'm sure Josh mentioned, you know, all that we learned about ethanol and what a call that was for us. You know, we really did not think very highly of ethanol before, but when we found out that a lot of the information that we were basing our opinions on was incorrect, we looked deeper and we realized that here in the United States, we are so lucky. We have so many resources here that can be used sustainably. We can literally mimic nature with the technology and the resources that we have right here in this country. And all that it takes is for each person to say, you know what, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to start doing something different, to get online, to talk to people, to talk to your community, to find out what alternatives are available. You know, ethanol is a great option. It's something that a lot of people have access to, even here in Los Angeles, where there isn't a lot of ethanol. There's still an ethanol, several ethanol stations where we can go and get it. You know, every time you put money towards something other than gasoline or diesel or petroleum, you're putting your money and you're voting for a change. You're voting for a shift towards sustainability. You know, Josh and I, without doing very much research, without really trying very hard, we took our and we modified it to get have a, a battery pack and a plug, and it gets 150 miles per gallon. We got a used Prius. The whole wow. thing cost us about $29,000. And we have a car that we can go up to 30 miles on no gasoline as a straight electric vehicle, or we can go up to 100 miles getting 150 miles per gallon. We only fill up, you know, every other month at the most. <laughs> and when we do, we put ethanol in our car. We have a, you know, a Prius, a regular Prius that we're now using solar energy because we have panels that we can charge the car with, and, we're, and ethanol. So we're, it's completely sustainable. And it's, you know, a car that we went and bought like any other person. So it doesn't take that much ingenuity to start making different choices. And, I mean, obviously one of the big ones is to use less. You know, how great sure. would it be to get on your bicycle instead of getting in your car to drive to work every day, which we can do and we do often. 
Yep. But what I love the most about what you're saying, Rebecca, is that you're not saying, hey, everybody, if we're going to be sustainable on this planet, we've got to live in caves and walk everywhere. You're giving alternatives to people to live the great standard of living and, and provide that same standard of living that they want for their children, but in a more sustainable way. And that's truly freedom. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but we're going to keep waving the flag uh, here during commercial break. When we come back, more with Rebecca and her book and her nonprofit organization. Don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We are having an absolute blast. Um, Rebecca Tickell is on with us. She and her husband, Josh, have just released a new documentary called Freedom. Uh, if you want to get out there and you can order the DVD right now today, go to their website at www.thefreedomfilm.com. That's thefreedomfilm.com. Order that DVD. Check it out. You are going to feel so empowered, so hopeful, and so excited about what they have presented. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful, um, something you should definitely check out. It's a wonderful film. Now, Rebecca, you've got a book out that I think is great. I love just the title. It's called Hot, Rich, and Green. And you talk about the role that you believe women should play in the environmental movement. And, you know, you're preaching to the choir, but some of our <laughs> listeners are men, too. <laughs> But uh, talk to us about your book and how you feel feminism and environmental activism uh, fit together so well. Sure. You know, it was amazing after, and thank you, by the way, 
it was amazing after we made fuel, um, I found myself sitting around the table mostly with men. And as a woman who's very passionate about the environment and somebody who's really committed to, you know, organizing and rallying and activism, I was pretty stunned to find myself having energy conversations with pretty high-level people and to discover that I was the only female represented. Call um, me anytime, Rebecca, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite topic. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we as women, we, we are so unique. You know, we, we feel and we have these emotions, and that can, you know, a real plus, and it can be a drawback when it comes to the way that we interact inside of the business world. But I feel that it's a really big missing when you don't have the feminine represented inside of these conversations because, you know, we, we have Mother Earth. Mother Nature, you know, we as women are uniquely designed to protect and to defend life. I mean, we're designed to bring life into this world, and we're designed to protect the life that we bring into the world. We can be fierce when it comes to protecting our children and the environment that our children live in. So it allows us to bring a new kind of sort of feminism and heroism to the green conversation, especially if needed most, which is inside of energy. You know, it's really important that we recycle. It's really important that we use wind turbines and solar panels, and it's all very important. But the fact of the matter is that 70% of the energy that is used in the United States is for liquid transportation fuel. You know, and that's kind of like a big old boys club right there. You know, and there are some amazing, brave women who are out there leading the way, like, um, E.J. Warner with Sapphire Energy, she's making algae fuel. And what I started to discover was that there are these women who, in, C.J. in particular, has a history working at BP. She used to work out in the field at BP, and then she decided that she wanted to make a shift in her life, and so she went and is now working for this algae company making algae fuel. And that's been a perfect example of how our insight as women into protecting our environment can be used in such a way that it can propel going green even further, um, just simply by adding women to the conversation. So I went out, I interviewed 100 women who were out there leading the field, leading the way in green energy, and discovered, you know, what worked for them? What was hard for them? What were their stumbling blocks? Where did they fail? How can we create a template for all women to go out there, do something that they're passionate about, something that they love, make a difference for the environment, and make money while doing it? And that's how I came up with my book, Hot Rich and Green. I love it. And, you know, I, I can speak to my own experience. When I started the Go Green Initiative in 2002, I literally wrote it on my kitchen table, and my inspiration was very simply my children. I could see that the world that they were going to inherit from me was a dirty, polluted, toxic mess, and something needed to be done, and I couldn't just wait any longer for mm. someone else to do it. And my initial audience for that environmental education program was PTA moms. I went around speaking at state PTA conventions, and that's where my first advocates and disciples who went out there and started talking about the Go Green Initiative began, and now, yada, 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 nine years later, we're in schools in all 50 states and in 67 countries around the world. Bam. But it was powered on mommy love. (laughs) Fierce. But we're fierce when we get together. It's amazing. When we unite behind a common issue, we are unstoppable as women. I mean, that's one of the things. I mean, men, they'll stand back and they'll scratch their heads like, what just happened when they see a bunch (laughs) of women get together and get excited about something? And we are a force to reckon with. 
And I have to say, I have to give credit to my husband because, you know, he's been doing this for a long time. I saw him driving a veggie van across the country over a decade ago, and I was so inspired then. I, you know, I saw him on the Today Show, and I was like, wow, look at what this one guy is doing. I'm so impressed with that. I had no idea I'd end up married to him, you know, over a decade later. But... You know, he allowed me to become his partner in this, you know, to become his, you know, partner in crusading for green energy. And I so appreciate that because I've seen him allow me to bring what my feminine qualities to the business table. And what that has brought us, amazingly, is a ton of money. And I know that that sounds crazy, but I mean, because of my passion, because of my enthusiasm for it, and because... You know, I, I light up when I talk about it. It's contagious. So it allows for us to really excel at, at actually producing our projects. I think that's how I became a movie producer because I was so passionate about green energy and part gosh that, you know, when he would bring me to a meeting, the, the poor person would be done for because I was just so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what what you two personify and what comes through in your films and really, I mean, I think what makes them so palatable and so terrific is that you bring the best of what a man's perspective and, and a woman's strength, mm-hmm. you, you bring it together. Your marriage it becomes a marriage of the best of both genders and how we think and how we feel and how we want to see information. You bring that marriage of perspective to the big screen. And I love that. Uh, we've Thank got you. maybe three minutes left or so, Rebecca, which makes me sad because I could talk to you all day long, but I want you to tell <laughs> us what the veggie van organization is up to and about the I'll be the one campaign. Love it. Sure. Tell us more. Yeah. Well, the, the veggie van organization is the nonprofit that has allowed us to go down to the Gulf and march for clean energy and go to schools across the country. We have um, the Freedom Bus. It's this mobile learning lab that teaches students all about different types of green energy. So we've been touring the country with our films. We've been educating young people and adults alike about all of the different things that we can do right now today to get off of oil. I mean, literally, on the side of the Freedom Bus, it says, Declare your independence from oil. And, you know, we've been slaves to oil, and it's time that we stop that. We've got to stop it. We've got to shift. And so the Veggie Van Organization was created to spread awareness of how we can actually start to do that right now today. And the I'll Be the One campaign was really inspired by us recognizing that it takes each person stepping up and saying, I'll be the one. It's not, there's no one person that's going to save us. There's no silver bullet solution that's going to come in at the end and save the day. You know, it's going to require each person making that declaration, I'll be the one to, and then what? Put solar panels on my roof, put ethanol in my car, add a plug to my car, walk to work, bike to work, whatever it is. Anything that we can do right now makes a difference. But we get lost in that we don't matter or we can't make a difference. The I'll be the one campaign and organization is all about empowering people and inspiring them to take that next step. I love it. I think that's so inspiring. And so give us the website for the Veggie Van organization. It's the Veggie Van, I'm sorry, www.veggievan.org. Check it out, folks. Veggievan.org. That's where you'll also find information about how to get involved with the I'll Be the One campaign. And then please, please get your hands on the movie Freedom. 
right now, today, order it on thefreedomfilm.com. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us on Go Green Radio, and thanks to all of our listeners for joining us as well. Next week, we'll be talking to a New York Times contributor about his new book uh, that gives us the inside gossipy, all the salacious details of what's going on in the electric car world, so don't miss that episode. Until then, folks, have a great week, and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.